Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Did That Really Happen podcast. Been a little bit of a strange season. Uh, this summer has truly been one for the ages. Caleb Rutherford's moving, and he's not been able to be on most of these episodes. Actually, up to this point, he hasn't been able to be on any of them. And so uh, we're trying to make ends meet, if you will. And then I have been in and out of no voice most of this summer. And so uh, kind of hard to podcast when you can't speak. But today I have with me Brother Scott Kane. Uh, Scott is the minister at the Forest Hill Church of Christ and has been here since February of 2022. Uh, we are greatly, greatly appreciative of the work that he's doing. Uh, and in fact, we'll say this now, it's not going to air till next year and we don't even have graphics made for it yet, but Scott is one of the newest additions to the Scatter the Broad Network through a podcast that we're doing called Father Time, which is a podcast specific to dads trying to get Bible time for their families put together. And Scott and Matt McBrayer and Chase Green are going to head that podcast up and give tips and tricks and other things to try to help showcase how important family Bible time is, as well as how you can accomplish it. Life can get real busy, but it gets real busy when we let it too. And so this is an idea of how you can make time for your family and ultimately for the Father. So Scott, give us a, a little bit about maybe some of your hobbies and likes, and then I'll just let you jump right in with the first story you want to tell. Uh, well, you know, you hit on the uh, Father Time uh, podcast that we're getting rolling. And I guess if I have a hobby or something that really occupies the time, it's uh, a lot of the time that our family spends doing our family Bible time Now, yeah. in terms of other hobbies and whatnot, you know, guitar, um, automobiles, uh, just time spent with family and the things that the kids enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, those things being said, we've, uh, we've really committed ourselves to spending a good bit of time in, uh, in scripture each evening and that has uh, really been the prominent portion of our family time for a couple of years now and it's been extremely rewarding uh, but uh, it's more than a hobby a way of life but that's yeah. been a, a major priority uh, and I guess that really kind of points toward uh, uh, talking about some of these stories one that came to mind you had mentioned just things that uh, you can't believe happened. Sometimes you can believe they happen. You just wish they'd happen to someone else. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, early in, uh, early in our experience, I'm preaching, and this is before we ever came to preaching school. Uh, we, have uh, our oldest son was maybe two and I had just extended the invitation at a worship service where we were outside of Crossville, Tennessee. Right. And as the invitation song is being sung, my oldest son had just learned how to shape his hands into the shape of pistols. And my wife looks down, and, and here he is on the seat looking backward, just shooting everyone. <laughs> point and shoot, point and shoot. Um, so that was one of those where we didn't know whether to be mortified or just laugh about it, so you kind of do both. <laughs> Um, of course now he's 17 and he's not done that in months. That's so good. That that's sense. good. He's improving. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. Months. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Speaking of those occasions, sometimes it's not your children that make you want to crawl under a, yeah. uh, a pew or in some cases a car. We were at a door knocking not long ago and one of my sons and another child was with me. And this child's a member, uh, the son of members of the congregation and as we knocked on each door, 
uh, we'd greet the folks. Hi, how are you? My name's Scott. This is my son, and this other fellow was, and the the boy that was with us twice. He goes, not a member. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it really kind of threw the conversation off a couple of times. And the second time it happened, I kind of kneeled down and said, "Let's let's not say that anymore." Yeah. Um, because of course the. People are thinking, not a member of what? Well, come to find out later, I'd introduce myself and my son as my son. And this other boy's point was not a member of the family, but he just said, not a member. <laughs> I'm not a member of this church, but I'm looking cute while we're outdoors. So they just found me. I was yeah. down the street somewhere and they said, You want to go knock doors with us? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> you look appealing. People It'd open be up great. a door for you. Yeah. I, Adam does that all the time. We had some student prospects today, and I took them to the house real quick, show them an apartment and other things. And uh, I showed them some of the things that you could do with an apartment if you were creative. And I saw Adam, and so I was like, well, Adam Adam will be a good little promoter of the school right now. And so I said, hey, Adam, should they come to the Memphis School of Preaching? And Adam started vehemently shaking his head no. <laughs> like, no. Don't. And I said, you don't think they should come to the Memphis School of Preaching? And he goes, I guess so. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Yep. He uh, His answers are never predictable. No. I wish they were, but I guess that's his father in him. So He took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, so often it's the things that our children do that uh, – that tend to be memorable. And there are only so many of those stories that we can tell before they get us back whenever they become adults. So I've got to <laughs> be yeah, careful with how many of those I share. That's true. That's true. Uh, there's so many stories that could be told. And then I stop and think they might be listening to this. I should <laughs> exactly. probably not say that. So yeah, I get that yeah. completely. And you know, when you talk about that last was a door knocking story, there are a lot of interesting things that happen when door knocking. Um, the first of which I was ever a part was down in New Orleans. Um, we were still in school. We'd gone down for right. a campaign there. And we thought we were ready for pretty much anything that you might see. Uh, but went up to this porch where there were a couple of ladies there and uh, was just going to speak to them. And as I got closer, I noticed one was uh, feeding her infant uh-huh. <laughs> uh, with uh, with. No need to feel covered whatsoever. And, of right. course, you've already walked up to the porch. Right. So, <laughs> Hello, ladies. My name's Scott. We're with the congregation and just wanted to invite you. Um, and and <laughs> it, it's just that awkward feeling as you walk away. <laughs> yeah. uh, we we teach our young men to avert the eyes, and, of right. course, that's what was taking place. Uh, but there are only so many so many words that you can remember when when the only thing going through your mind is look away, this is awkward, look right. away, this is awkward. We so. want to invite you to look away, this is awkward. <laughs> um. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that was one of our first introductions. And, of course, uh, we would later move to that area and uh, work with the church there for over 10 years. And um, that was one of those events that I kept in mind just in terms of realizing that there are going to be a lot of things that happen that you're just not going to predict. Right. I can't imagine. I mean, we sat in school, both of us, and heard the stories, and we probably both thought, and I've said this a lot, but I say it all the time, there's no way. You're embellishing just a touch. You're, you're making the story more grand. And then we go on that first door-knocking campaign and everybody comes back and like, all right, tell us what happened today. And then you start hearing some stuff. And you're like, 
maybe they were telling the truth, like just 100%, no filter. This is exactly what happened. Um, yeah, we had a couple of people that we knocked on the door and I told them what we were doing, who we were with that week. And we'd love for you to come and be a part of the gospel meeting each night or even a Bible study. And both of them just looked at me and said, nah, and just shut the door. It's like, thank you for letting me at least say it, you know, give the opportunity. But no, it's, you never know what people are going to do or what they're going to be wearing when they open the door. We heard stories that week that there were some people who were like, well, I was in the shower, but I'll open the door. And they're like, why would you open the door? <laughs> Wait, can you close? Can you get clothes first? <laughs> like, you don't have to come to the door just because it's been knocked on. We'll wait. That's fine. You know, so yeah, you never know. People don't have filter both in their brain and in the way that they dress a lot of times, unfortunately. Very true. Very true. And you, you've got to be careful. A lot of times you got to be careful when you're speaking at their door. And sometimes you got to be careful with, with, with who comes knocking at the door of the church building. Mm-hmm. Um, where we were in New Orleans, it was uh, New Orleans has been called uh, uh, a small Hollywood because of how many movies are produced there, or at yeah. least filmed in that area. And more than once, we would get a request from a, a a studio asking if they could use part of the property. Once it was, if they could use the Fellowship Hall as a place for lunch for a couple of days while they were filming in the area. Um, on another occasion, they asked to be able to park vehicles. Uh, but the one that really stood out was uh, a company that got in touch with us, and they were filming a Will Ferrell movie. Okay. And they wanted to record a scene in the parking lot with the church building in the background of him having a conversation in an automobile outside of a church building. Um, the name of the movie was The Candidate. And while I've never seen the movie, I was curious later and went to see, you know, what were they going to do with this? Because of course we declined. It's right. <laughs> it was just prudent to say no. We we'd, right. we'd rather not. And it was a good call uh, because apparently this particular scene they they filmed the scene outside of the church building and then the the worshippers inside the uh, of the congregation were depicted as being a snake handling church. Oh. <laughs> so. Um, that would have been that would have been an interesting Sunday after that movie. Hey, we saw it on. We know you do this. You know it may have upped the attendance. Who knows? That could have. Where are the snakes? Tell right. us right now. <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't yeah. realize New Orleans. I knew that they were kind of a mini Hollywood, but I didn't realize that De Gaulle Drive would have gotten that many. You know, but it makes sense. Their building's beautiful. They've got a nice little location. So that, I can see that. Yeah, I'd never thought of that before, though. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, if you ever drive through New Orleans very much, you are going to uh, be required to dodge at least one film company that's filming on a street or a side road huh. or what have you. Uh, it It's happening all the time. How many times would you say that happened where they made requests at De Gaulle? We had three or four that I remember specifically. Yeah. Um, and, and after a while, I think they realized we were going to say no each time just because, uh, you know, we have no control over what's going to be in the films and I really didn't want to see the, the church listed in the end credits of, right. you know, the most recent Deadpool movie or something. Sure. So <laughs> right. yeah. um, we just figured it was better safe than sorry on right. that one. Um, but uh, yeah, those were, uh, they happened often enough that we had a policy about it. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand that. That's prudent. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yes. Makes much sense. But um, yeah, we, <laughs> we were thankful we'd said no to that one. 
Um, but, uh, you know, talking about being down there and some of the, the interesting events that would happen with, with the people there, they're just folks of different strokes a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but the door knockings would, would be beneficial. Uh, there was one time when, uh, we weren't able to knock the door in this particular area. Uh, but we were able to get house to house, uh, sent to the apartments in yeah. this complex. I mean, you couldn't enter the, uh, the site and knock the doors, but not long after a door knocking, we got a call from a lady whose door had not been knocked, but she'd received house to house. And, uh, just because of that, she wanted to meet and attend worship and we started studying and, uh, after about the third study, uh, she had left. We'd studied baptism, and she had left, and having not obeyed the gospel, and I kind of wondered, well, I'm not sure where this will go from here, but we'll continue studying. She called us a few hours later and said, I feel kind of like that eunuch. What, what's keeping me from being baptized? And so right. that was one of those occasions when it's <laughs> not a thing, and we went and picked her up, and she obeyed the gospel that day. That's so, great, yeah. But uh, one of those occasions where uh, we never would have had access to her had we not used yeah. a publication. Uh, another occasion that occurred, <laughs> uh, I had met this lady uh, while knocking doors and sat down to study with her using, I think it was the OBS series at the mm -hmm. time, and got through about the third question and realized this isn't going anywhere, not because she wasn't interested, but because the way the questions were were formulated, it just was not resonating with her. And um, uh, after I'd been with her for an hour and a half, two hours, uh, asked her, would you like to study again later in the week? And we scheduled a study. And instead of taking that study over there, I just laid out a different approach and sat down and studied with her, looking at a verse and letting her write a couple of notes down. And uh, it took about three or four more studies as we went through what the Bible is all about. And then we looked at this, uh, what Christ came to do, save souls and build his church. Then we identified how one becomes part of that church. And then we looked at identifying features of the church that distinguish it from just denominations. And after that study, she was ready to be baptized. but. When we got her over to the building to be baptized, she stepped down into the water and she was mortified, mm -hmm. absolutely mortified of water. Her fear of water was um, debilitating. She was not immersed that day. She actually walked back up out of the baptistry, mm -hmm. <laughs> changed her clothes again and left. Well, she then called the next day and said, Scott, I, I think I'm ready to do this. I, I really think I'm ready. Well, yes, ma'am, we'll be right over there. So we went and picked her up. And this time, when we went down into the baptistry, uh, my wife went also. And so my wife was on one side, I was on the other. And she was still mortified. Um, but knowing that there were two people in there with her, one on either side, uh, she was baptized on that day. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was fortunate we had room in the baptistry for three people. Not yeah. many baptistries can accommodate that. Oh, no, that's true. We did a Bible study recently with someone, and we we had heard that this person was not baptized for the right reasons. That's what they had told us, and so we were studying with them and getting to the the meat of the matter. And 
um, got to a point where we kind of did a tag team study. We had a couple people cover a couple different things to try to speed up the process. And I covered the the oneness of the body. The, the church is the body, according to Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, and verses, uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. I did all this, you know, whole thing. And I got to the end and I said, now, based on all of that, are you saved or are you lost? And in the process I mentioned, now, once you've become a Christian, you know, the Lord doesn't expect you to continue to be baptized. You can, you can repent and be, you know, forgiven. This person looked at me and he goes, I'm saved. I said, what? (laughs) He said, I'm saved. And I said, now, where did you get that? And he said, from you. And I was thinking, I don't recall saying that you were saved. And so I said, well, what did, what, what did I say that helped you kind of understand that? And he, he goes, you told me that if I would, you know, pray, I would be saved. And I was like, great. <laughs> I don't know how this wire got crossed. So I, I flipped it and I said, you said you were baptized years ago. Why did you get baptized that day? And he said, to be seen of other people. And I said, so were you really baptized that day? No. So what should you do today? Oh, I should be back. And I was like, because I was thinking, I just taught this man the sinner's prayer without even trying to. (laughs) Like it wasn't even intentional. And he came away from that. I just pray. Yeah, that's all I do. Just pray. It's fine. Great night. (laughs) It ended great. It was a little worried there. And two of my partners for that study both went, we were very thrown by how that ended. And I was like, same, because I did not think it was going to go that way. I thought we were all in the same general vicinity. One of us was over here. One of us was over here. We had to get to the middle. So, yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the benefits of asking a whole lot of questions as you work your way through a study is when, when something gets misunderstood, you might be able to identify the misunderstanding shortly after it happens. Right. Um, but those surprises will indeed come up. Yeah. You know, talking about baptizing folks, uh, you're not always baptizing people in the baptistry. Sometimes you might be at some kind of an event, like if it's a, a Bible camp, you use a pool. Uh, we would have a family retreat, uh, and it would be held at a state park in Louisiana. Right. And there was no pool on site where the group camps were. The ladies would stay in one group cabin, the men would stay in another, and we were there for uh, a couple of nights and great time every time. On one occasion, a fellow that had been visiting with us came to the camp, and uh, he and I were on the study about baptism, and we went ahead and finished that study there at the camp. That week, we had noticed an alligator in the water, <laughs> and some of the kids had been, you know, giving it bread or whatnot. They didn't have any signs posted otherwise, and uh, I think they called it TikTok. As you, you can you know, use your imagination with Peter Pan. Uh, so there's an alligator in the water, and we knew that he would come over to that particular part of the lake anytime much disruption occurred on the pier or right. where we were. So when, when this fellow was ready to be baptized, I let other folks know. I said, now, please come help us. We need some folks to stand on the pier and instead of watching him be baptized, keep your eye on that point right over there because that's where that alligator is going to come around. And uh, <laughs> we went down into the water, and probably the the most cautious I've ever walked while baptizing someone, just in case the yeah, alligator the surprised us. Yeah. Because he was he wasn't huge; he was maybe a five footer, you know, but you know, just enough to 
cause a problem. And so um, we are in the water. We, we baptize him. We come up out of the water, and we really come up out of the water. <laughs> And uh, our feet are no more on dry ground, and here comes that alligator around the, <laughs> around the corner. Uh-huh. So um, that was one of those where uh, we baptized him and left the old man in the water, but we left him quick. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that alligator might have had a snack with that old man that exactly. was left behind. Exactly. Uh, I've wondered about that. You know, when you think back in the Bible, when these people are being baptized, there had to be some of the rivers and waters that they were baptizing that had less than ideal animals that would think that's a good home and when it says same hour of the night i wonder how often it was kind of that situation of now we need to do this very quickly for two reasons one we need to save your soul and let the lord add you to his church two that thing over there is going to come after us as soon as possible right. we got to get out of here but I, I matt mcbrayer was on this season and he talked about there was a group of people out when he went overseas somewhere. I can't even remember where it was, but they hunted anaconda. And he said, well, how do you know that, like, the anaconda is not going to eat you? Like, what if one comes up behind you? And he said their answer was, they don't like how we taste. <laughs> how do you learn that? <laughs> like, what? And so I could just see the church back in that time going, aren't there alligators in here? They don't like how you taste. Don't worry. It's fine. They, they, they spit Timon out yeah. twice last week. Yeah, hop on in. <laughs> hop on in. It's fine. <laughs> just, wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, but you know you do you do what you've got to do. You use yeah. the water you've got, um, and when it comes to baptism stories, there are so many that uh, are it can just be encouraging. Uh, we had an occasion extending the invitation. We had some visitors present that morning that we'd not seen. Uh, there, one of them comes forward. She's a young lady in her mid to late twenties. Her name's Chelsea. And she has a very pronounced um, uh, misstep in her walk. Mm-hmm. We'll come to find out that's because she had suffered a major stroke. Mm-hmm. Uh, she struggled to communicate. Now, this young lady had been a uh, a pageant winner um, among the top of the Miss Louisiana finalists. Uh, amazing vocalist. Uh, she had actually done singing work in New York. Then she suffered her stroke. Mm. Well, she, they were visiting in New Orleans that day. They were from about an hour away. And when she came forward, she wanted to be baptized. But having not known them, seen them, uh, uh, wanted to make sure that she understood the commitment that was being made and uh, ask if, given the circumstances and her limitations in communication, ask if she'd be willing to sit down and study immediately after services. And we did. And we would open the Bible and make sure that uh, she was reading the passage, and she could read it out loud. Uh, it There was some hesitancy, but she could read out loud and process what was being said. And so we worked through the, the basics of the need for being baptized, what repentance is, uh, what's accomplished by baptism. Um, and while it was slow go, she she continually would emphasize she would point at her chest and say faith, or tap on her chest and say faith. Point at the Bible, say faith, yeah. believe, faith. And then she um, she rose from where she was sitting. We were studying in the library. She got down on her knees. She put one hand over her nose and imitated being huh. baptized, just stressing that that's what she was committed to doing. Um, and we baptized her that day. Um, but 
this this was a young lady that, uh, despite her difficulty communicating verbally, the way that she would just sit and stare, uh, her she had these brown eyes that were almost uh, like cartoon eyes. They were so yeah. pronounced and prominent. She was taking everything in. And uh, that's a story that Melissa and I will continue to um, uh, to talk about even to this day, just looking back on memorable responses to invitations yeah. uh, because it was so, so touching. Um, and then no matter, despite how much she struggled in sentence conversation, we'd gone out to eat. And I think it was that day we, uh, we went to get something to eat after services that evening and a song started playing in the restaurant where we were and she started singing along and never missed a lick. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah. so there was so much she could process and so much that she could still do, but then there were, there were things that she was limited on doing. Yeah. But in terms of understanding her, her decision and obeying the gospel, uh, it was, it was clear that she knew what she was doing there. And that was so encouraging. Those, those stories are so, they help, you know, you can do it. You know, you can have the study, you can talk to somebody, you can help them understand the truth. And when there's good soil, good, good hearts, they end in, you know, good stories being ended in a way that, you know, in this case was baptism. We had a, one of my last Sundays at Somerville, preached a lesson. I had been tasked with preaching a series of lessons before I knew I was leaving that were less than easy. And then I started realizing I was leaving and I thought, great, my last (laughs) sermons here are all going to be. You know, here's a series, but I preached some type of call to action sermon, and I offered the invitation, walked down, and from the back, uh, Brother Mickey started wheeling up to the front. Brother Mickey is very, very old in the sense of he him to come forward is a chore, and he sat very back because what would always happen, as soon as the Lord's Supper was done, his wife would stand and go get the vehicle because he couldn't be around a ton of people. His health wouldn't allow for that as much, but they were there every service they could possibly be and still are to my knowledge. He wheeled all the way up to the front and then called me over just bawling, you know, I need to be restored. I need to be restored. And I just got into the pulpit. And I think that the only time I've ever just said something simple was this time I said, if this isn't a testament to what, true faith and understanding of God's grace, love, and forgiveness is. I don't know what is. And then I said to one of the elders, would you come pray uh, for this brother? And then he wheeled right back to the back as soon as the prayer was over. And he got in the car and he went home as soon as the final prayer was done. But, I mean, you you just can't imagine because we have so many people today that are so flippant, you know, when it comes to faith or when it comes to doing what's right. And so hearing stories like you said and seeing what I got to see among the countless others that could be told, I mean, we could just swap the rest of the afternoon probably. It it makes it easier on those days when the preacher thinks, I don't know if I can do this much longer. You know, you can feed off that for years, realizing, hey, it still makes a difference when I preach the gospel. Mm. And and to see the joy. Yeah. I mean, went on their way rejoicing. Uh, it's... It's addictive. You, right. You want to see that again, and not for your own pleasure, but just for the benefit of the of those that they get it. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. That's that's why we do what we do. That's right. Um, 
we were studying with a lady that had recently obeyed the gospel. And um, I guess it had been two, maybe three weeks since she had been baptized. And uh, we were continuing some new convert studies with her, sitting in the library. Um, and this this sweet lady just took it. I mean, she just absorbed as she studied. Uh, she had come out of uh, a denominational church where her, uh, I think it was an uncle that was a preacher there. And it was clear as she started studying what Scripture actually said how much error there was where she had been. And she immediately change immediately yeah. change immediately change well on one occasion we are studying and i was explaining i have no idea what it was that was being explained but she had asked a question as i answered it uh what very uncommon for her behavior she interrupted me she said i'm sorry but is that supposed to be happening oh no <laughs> turned and looked and underneath the wall in the library where we were the carpet was getting dark and it was spreading. Oh. And um, I said, no, no, that's not supposed to be happening. Well, I got up and left. And now what needs to be understood is that where this library was, was uh, there were two possibilities. Either the water was coming from the kitchen on the other side of the wall or a bathroom on the other side of the hallway. I hoped it was the kitchen. Yeah, right. Yeah. It wasn't. Oh, uh, man. A, uh, an inline water heater had burst underneath the sink. And um, we uh, several hundred gallons of water was, was spreading. Uh, one of those Bible studies where you had to call it quits. Right. Um, but we also, uh, as we were trying to shut off the water, I realized that I'd not taken the time to learn where the water main was or where the, the T post would be to get it and shut it off. So it took a good 10 minutes to shut off that water. And the whole time it's just still flooding and flowing. Um, it ended up, uh, saturating about a third of that building by the time we could get it shut off. See, that's where the jokester in me would go. See, here is water. What, you know, what, what, a lot of it, you know, several gallons. So you, Matt, told a story where he overflowed the baptistry into the auditorium. Um, that was his own doing, though. Um, <laughs> and you're saying, I think we had another guy email us a similar story that we're going to tell on the live program we're doing later uh, in the month. You're you're mentioning as well the kind of the, while you're studying, she just happened to catch it out of the corner of her eye, and we just happened to be there because this is, I want to say, a Tuesday or a Thursday wow. evening at about eight o'clock. Um, Imagine if you hadn't exactly. Had we not been there, there's no telling how many thousands of gallons would have run through that building. Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, so it was fortunate that we were there, <laughs> but it was quite the mess. Um, and we were accustomed to cleaning up water because the water table is so high in that area. Uh, it wasn't uncommon to have water leak up from underneath right. the auditorium and ha need to clean up in there. But uh, this particular occasion, uh, it was it was quite the show. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, that's I've, I've heard of a lot of reasons that a Bible study had to be stopped. That might be the first I've heard that water stopped right. a Bible study. Usually, uh, that's what you want. You know, you want right. water to be present. Um, yeah. yeah, that's. But uh, yeah, we um, uh, we ended up getting a lot of renovations done as a result of that. It I was, can, yeah, yeah, new carpets, some new new uh, furniture items. But um, just one of those things that you don't predict it happening, but boom, it happens. Well, years ago now, I think it was 2012, 10 years ago, 
we went to go look for a friend whose father had uh, dementia pretty bad, and he got lost in the woods, and so there's a big search party going to look for him. And we went, and before we left, I noticed water was gushing out of the side of my mom and dad's house. And I thought, well, I'd just taken a shower. That must be, you know, how the water gets recycled. It just comes out of the side of the house. Um, you know, not realizing in my 17, almost 18-year-old brain, it don't work like that. And so we left, and we came home, and we found out that the water heater had a problem in it, and it exploded. And it was above the living room. And so it exploded and just came crashing down right where I normally stood when I would game. And it was a summertime, so I was doing a lot of gaming. And so I was like, I might have died today, for all I know. Because, I mean, the force of that. And I walked into the house that afternoon, there was water all over the floor, water everywhere. It took about three months for that house to be put back to normal. Um, and that was just a water heater that burst and not much water outside of what was inside that tank and a little bit that was coming in uh, that was just the overflow. It shut off after that. That was a lot. I can't imagine how much damage can be done with, with what you're describing. With a constant flow. It yeah. Can be, yeah. We... Um, you talk about going and looking for someone that uh, was dealing with dementia. You know, that's one of the areas where a lot of things happen that, that you never predict in ministry either because, you know, we're, we're dealing with real life. We're dealing with real people with real problems. Some of those problems are um, are going to be beyond their control. Right. And every now and then, especially when you're talking about mental health issues. Oh, yeah. Uh, we run into situations where there are people that are completely – uh, beyond controlling what the affliction might be. And then there are those situations where they often facilitate their their difficulties. Uh, there was an occasion, this lady had uh, been single all of her life, and she'd had a, uh, her parents were uh, members of the Lord's Church, wonderful folks, um, and they struggled to know how to uh, help their daughter whenever she was diagnosed with mental health uh, issues at a young age. Um, but she had pressed forward and there had been you know, struggles along the way. By the time she was in her sixties, um, she ended up marrying a widower in the church and, uh, she still struggled back and forth with mental health issues every now and then, uh, for the most part, uh, 90% of the time she was perfectly lucid, coherent, could make rational, solid decisions. Um, but every now and then, things would slip. And occasionally, uh, it was because of her own choices that she decided, no, I don't want to take this medication. Mm -hmm. I, don't want to, yeah. I don't want to take this step in order to, to maintain stability. Right. Um, and she had developed some patterns of behavior that would, that would result in manipulation. And whenever she ended up becoming uh, unstable, she would also become volatile in her behavior toward her husband. But her husband was such a meek and gentle man. He, uh, uh, he'd already uh, said farewell to one wife. She had passed away. And he was doing all that he could to be as, as kind with, uh, to the best of his ability with his, with his new bride. Right. But there were times when... Um, well, as one of her friends would put it, she just needs a fix. Uh, yeah. She needed uh, 
she needed professional help. Right. But that was not what she wanted. So on one occasion, um, we get a call. Uh, there was supposed to be a congregational get together that evening. It was a, uh, uh, it was Valentine's day yeah. and several members of the congregation were going out to eat and just, uh, spend time with each other. And we get a call about, uh, the trouble that he's having. And when we arrive, um, the issues were beyond anything that we could handle in and of ourselves or anyone with the congregation was equipped to handle. As we talked with her and as we saw how, not only unreasonable, but uh, undesirous of help. She really was, uh, and also how volatile she was. We realized that we needed to take the steps to help her get the professional help that she was going to need. Um, and the the area where we were, in order to get someone that sort of help that does not want it, you actually have to go through the coroner's office. Um, and so... Fortunately, the lady that I mentioned earlier that had spotted the leak in the, the yeah. wall, uh, this wasn't long after she had obeyed the gospel, and huh. she worked with the state, and she was able to tell us what needed to be done. For such a time as this, perhaps. Exactly. <laughs> so over the course of that evening, of course, we're, we're doing all that we can to, to deal with the lady that is usually very sweet, uh, but that is uh, of a completely different mindset on this occasion. And eventually, uh, we're able to get a hold of the proper authorities. The uh, the police arrive, uh, an ambulance arrives, and uh, we simply let the uh, the medical professionals speak with her and get their own assessment of what her behavior was like. Um, but it was it was difficult being. This isn't one of those funny stories at all. It was yeah. just difficult to be in a situation to where. You're watching one of the members uh, get rolled out on a gurney, mm -hmm. uh, and she's resisting and saying things that she would never say if she were in her right mind, no. uh, making accusations she would never make if she were in her right mind. And um, uh, as she was was taken to get help, of course, her husband is distraught, not knowing not knowing what to do or how to behave, uh, and she was she ended up being. Uh, getting help for about a month before she was able to go home and be stable again. Uh, but the funny thing was that one of the first things she did was write us a card of appreciation and just mm. poured herself out in gratitude. Yeah. Um, and so now one of the running jokes is, well, so-and-so doesn't act up we'll, we'll, or doesn't start behaving right. We'll get him committed too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, it, it was one of those tough situations that uh, I don't know that anyone ever uh, – discuss the ins and outs of that in preacher training as you had yeah. to learn as you uh, as you go well we had a i had a situation where somebody had passed away unexpectedly um and the we were waiting with the family and the funeral home came and these individuals that walked through the door i had not seen before and so i kind of gathered that they were either covering a shift or they were new to the job, both of which are very concerning when you're dealing with the end of someone's life and getting them out of the house. Um, I've only witnessed maybe four or five bodies being taken out of a home, but there's supposed to be such a level of like reverence kind of into it that this person 
we're going to be as quiet. We're not going to make any noise we don't have to make. We're going to get in. We're going to show respect, and we're going to get out. Well, um, this time they came in kind of arguing about the route that they took and some other things, and I'm just kind of thinking, not a great start. And then uh, they go over and they say, where is the body? So we get to tell them where the body is located, and um, they came back in and said, we need some help. Now, I've been asked to help before. There's no, no problem with that, but this particular time, they didn't do nothing, I don't think, about how to get a body onto a gurney and to take this body out because they said, why don't you just grab over here and uh, we'll grab over here and then we'll just see what happens. And I was thinking, this is not a great start at all. And so we we lift this individual and they weren't expecting this individual to weigh as much. And so they buckled a little and we almost dropped the individual. And I'm sitting here looking at a dear, you know, relative in Christ and thinking, I cannot laugh right now. Whatever I do, I cannot laugh right now. And uh, we end up getting this person onto the gurney. And I, I, I knew as soon as he said this, this was going to happen. But the guy goes, oh, you're going to take the head part of the gurney? You're going to take the lead? And the guy said, yeah, why not? And I thought, he's going to fall. Sure enough, they forgot to lock the gurney. And this man almost fell off of the gurney uh, in the process of them trying, you know, just almost clean off. And I had to leave the room because I couldn't contain it anymore. And uh, someone found me and they said, you too, huh? And I said, it was the hardest five minutes of my life because the entire time you're trying not to laugh and their loved ones are right there. And you're like, this is not funny, but it is it is funny because these guys are incompetent yeah. and I'm supposed to trust you with the body when you leave. I don't know. I mean, thankfully they made it to the destination, you know, cause a couple of days later we were at the funeral there they were, but that was one of the most dumpster fires of dumpster fires I had ever seen from the beginning, walking and arguing and then dropping the body and then dropping the body. It was great. Sounds like Larry and Curly left oh, Moe somewhere else. It felt like it, for sure. And, uh, I mean, I'd worked with this funeral home on several occasions. I, I knew they did good work. And so it was, like, so shocking, you know, just completely different from what I had been used to seeing. And uh, I was at a funeral recently and saw one of them. I had to look away because it just just reminds you of what happened and it's not supposed to be funny. And it, Tom Holland was onto something when he wrote that book. Why is it funnier when you shouldn't be laughing? Cause there is just something about a situation where nothing should be funny. And all of a sudden it's funny. You know, my son during the Lord's supper one day looked at me and he said, my booty hurts. <laughs> I just, I just busted out laughing. I couldn't help it. I'm thinking I'm trying to focus and you're over here being a four-year-old and thankfully the Lord understands that, but no one else in this auditorium <laughs> understands the 28 year old laughing right now, but it, he's on something. It should not be funny, but it's so much funnier when it shouldn't be. Well, and that's, that's one of the caveats about comedy is uh, a key part of anything being funny is oh, it has man. to be, there has to be something wrong about it. Right. Something about it doesn't fit the situation. Right. Which, okay, there's your exhibit A. Yeah. Uh, you have exhibit B? <laughs> too many. <laughs> too many. Uh, but um, <laughs> we, uh, 
we would take our, uh, we had a trip where we took our sons on a mission campaign. Uh, and it was in Europe. We were in Hungary for two weeks and we were in Italy for one. And uh, I don't know why this came out as funny. Uh, but one thing you have to understand about Hungary is while we were campaigning there, they love children. That is a very conservative minded country. They've always had a love for family and children. And since they've come out of communism, that's really just amplified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also have a great appreciation for Americans there. And so on this particular occasion, uh, we are in uh, a particular square. Um, it used to be called Moscow Square, but its name had changed. But uh, it was a major traffic hub. And uh, we had multiple adults and my three sons were handing out flyers to advertise for this gospel meeting. And we had tried to teach our children some of the language. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that you say thank you in Hungarian is kusenem or kusenem sepen. But the short version of it, that will, it's an informal mm-hmm. version that will be used particularly from an older person to a younger person, is kusi. Well, my youngest son was four, maybe five at the time. And uh, he just got excited hearing people say thank you in Hungarian. And anytime they would take the flyer from him and say kussy, he'd go, he said kussy. <laughs> and it was a hysterical <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Nothing funny about what was said at all, but his reaction had all of us in stitches. Uh, so, yeah, going to the idea of the uh, children doing something that caused you to. <laughs> oh, we were flying. Uh, back in November, I was doing a gospel meeting at Matt McBrayer's congregation where he's at in Cerrito. And we made it worked out where Adam and Megan could go with me. And this was a rare treat, you know, especially flying. It's Adam's first time on a plane. And so we're we're at the airport waiting on one of our flights. And there was a gentleman who was walking by speaking in a different language on the phone. Well, my son and my dad have this thing that they do where dad will pretend to call Simba and he'll talk to Simba and he'll pretend to call Mufasa and all these other people, uh, Yoda, whoever, whoever Adam says, call him and say, and, at, and dad will call and be like, uh, Sarabi and I didn't see you at the presentation of Simba this morning. And Adam's <laughs> like, yeah, loves it. Well, they call it what Adam then said that night. Adam looked at me and goes, that's a weirdo call. <laughs> and I was like, oh, son, no. And it was right within this guy's earshot, and he looked at us. And I thought, great. My son has just insulted this man for speaking in his native tongue, more than likely, or at least the tongue of a relative that he's on the phone or a friend, whomever. And Adam's, that's a weirdo call. Adam, not everybody speaks our language. And he's just looking at me like, what? (laughs) <laughs> what that makes no sense. Everybody speaks English. And it's kind of funny because when you watch movies like technically Star Wars, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, English existed. Like it doesn't make any sense. And all these movies that are done about like Gladiator or anything like that that's done pre-America, pre-English happening, English-speaking people, they all speak English. And every one of us goes to the movies, and we don't have any problem with it because it's the suspension of you know disbelief that we can grant for that movie time. But then there are some where they do so much of the movie in its original language. I think there was a movie called um, 1000 BC or something like that years ago. Apocalypse was another one. Uh, that These were movies that were done completely 
in their native tongue, but they put subtitles up for us Mm -hmm. so we could read what they were saying. But I just kept thinking, poor Adam, three years old, almost four, and in his mind, everyone speaks English, and the first person that didn't, he called a weirdo. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Thank you, son. I appreciate it. Uh, My oldest was probably, uh, we'll go with five or six, and he understood that there were other languages, um, but I think he was making some uh, some broad assumptions about who spoke what, and so we go to a uh, a restaurant in Crossville, Tennessee, and it's an Asian buffet, and um, the the server had come by the table and he wanted to ask her a question and he was going to go ahead and ask her himself. We didn't even know he had a question to ask. But he got her attention and he said, excuse me, ma'am, I don't speak Japanese, but can you? <laughs> now, this, this sweet young lady, she just thought it was adorable. Uh, there, we didn't know whether to be mortified or entertained. Right. Uh, we, we hoped that she took it uh, as innocently right. as he intended it. Uh, but um, at the same time, yeah, he's not lived that one down either. <laughs> no, I, I'm so thankful you told me that. Um, that that's, that's great. Because that is, oh, man, that... That's hilarious. I didn't know this when I was a little boy. I was with Robert R. Taylor Jr. And we went to a local restaurant and there were a group of black people sitting at a table. And I was like six, seven years old, didn't think anything of it. And I went over to him and said, what's up, my other color brothers? And I just started high-fiving everybody. Wow. And my dad is like mortified because he's thinking, in front of Robert Taylor, you just said that and we haven't trained you to say that and brother taylor is quoted as saying well he's an expressive young fellow huh (laughs) if only he knew um at that time (laughs) what i would become but yeah i just i was also like four and this was back (laughs) oh man it's it's bad four years old we went to the mid-south coliseum deep in memphis and uh we're watching the river kings and I asked my dad, I said, the local hockey team, I said, who do who are we rooting for? And dad said, well, we don't want the team in the black jersey to win. And so I started screaming, kill the blacks over and over again. And my dad is trying to muffle me. And I'm like, no, dad, you told me. <laughs> you said they were the bad guys. And I'm just screaming it at the top of my lungs. And my dad's thinking, we can never come here again. This was a great run. We are going to be banned. It was nice while it lasted. So, yeah, um, if Walker listens to this, he'll know. uh, I gave him a couple of my own so he can throw it right back to me. Wow. Yeah, that was a... That would be one of those where I would. I think I'd have to take the boy out. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's. Hey, uh, let's go outside in the yard for a little bit. Let's oh just, no, no, <laughs> take the boy out. <laughs> You've lived a good life. It's yeah, enough. It's, you're done, it's, boy. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're still innocent. Uh, <laughs> we, um, you know, on that trip that I'd mentioned, uh, and it was an amazing, amazing trip. Uh, this was back in 2015, and. Uh, the ISIS situation was taking place and there were a lot of people fleeing from uh, Iraq and the Middle East. Yeah. And there was a huge refugee situation in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we arrived, they were being transported from the Southern border of, of Hungary up to the Austrian border and getting transportation further from there to be able to go into Germany because Germany uh, believed they were equipped to be able to handle the influx. Hungary was not. 
uh, it was an opportunity uh, for us to be able to give a little bit of aid to those moving through yeah. and at least try to plant seeds of familiarity with the Lord's church. And so uh, several of us that were on that campaign got um, uh, supplies together, some tents, some uh, just snacks, things that they could take with them that would not be bulky and heavy, but that would be uh, light and usable. And um, we were actually able to hand out these supplies to people that were passing from Hungary into Austria. And on one occasion, the, uh, the mass of the group had gone by and we still had some supplies left. And the people uh, overseeing the border allowed us to cross what used to be the Iron Curtain and walk over to where the refugees were staying just across the border in Austria waiting for the next transports yeah. and uh, continue to distribute to them. But it was a, a fascinating situation just to see the appreciation on the part of the people because the things that were distributed had a, a small strip of paper taped on it in I can't remember if it was Farsi or what the, the language was. Yeah. Uh, but we had taped uh, a strip of paper on there that said, this is a gift from Christians, the Church of Christ. And uh, the people, uh, several people said, where can I find the Church of Christ in Austria? Where can I find the Church of Christ in Germany? And we were told later that there were uh, several congregations that had an influx of visitors and uh, some baptisms that resulted from it. Wow. But just to be able to to see that happening, it uh, it put a new perspective on uh, on trying to aid folks in that sort of situation. Yeah. We talk all the time about benevolence and a lot of times in the church, we just talk about it as like, you better give on Sundays. Yeah. And we don't stop to realize that when Jesus was talking about being benevolent, he meant in addition to, because prior to first Corinthians 16, two, we don't have one and two. We don't have a specific first day of the week. We're going to give all the time. That's when Paul started to say, Hey, it's going to be prudent for you to continue to do this going forward. But Jesus was talking about benevolence as Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is what you do. And uh, it is amazing when you get the good soil of people that need help that come through and they are just so thankful that you were willing to buy them a burger from McDonald's and give them a quarter of a tank of gas or whatever. Then you got some people that come through like we had a couple times, and I'm sure you've had them too, where – lady said, well, I need help. And so we took her to the local station and we had a policy where we had cards that we could use, never gave cash. We would take them either to the grocery store or we'd take them to the gas station and fill them up ourselves and we would pay. So we go to put the pump into the tank and she needed no gas. She told us she needed, she was empty, bone dry. And one of the elders said, you said you needed gas. Why is this not pumping? I don't know. Something must be wrong with the pump. Go to another pump. Same problem. I give the lady an A for dedication because, I mean, to know that you don't need gas and you say, well, let's try another one. A for effort. I mean, that's, you know, but to see people like you're describing where something that has become so trivial for us, Megan lived overseas in, in South Africa for a while uh, when we were not married yet. And um, she went one day and bought lunch for a coworker. And that coworker just started sobbing. And Megan said, why are you crying? And she said, you just spent what I have to eat off of for the whole month. And I'm just amazed at your generosity. To her, what equated to like 15 bucks in American dollars was how she was going to eat all month. Yeah. That blows your mind. I mean, that gives a whole new meaning when somebody that you know needs it 
to saying, I, I think I can spare a dollar or two if I've got it. You know, I can't always spare it, especially when I can tell somebody's probably not going to use it for the right thing. But those stories of being overseas, it really shows how far away we've moved in a country as far as our, we kind of expect it over here. If I hold out a hat, you're going to give to me. But over there, they, they realized this wasn't expected, and uh, we're so appreciative for it. Got a call one day, uh, a lady saying that, that she it was December, and she was apparently calling churches to see what she could get in terms of funds. But her approach was, I need a gift to make me happy for Christmas. Mm. Well, well, ma'am, we are we are able to help sometimes, depending on what people's needs are. Uh, what seems to be your need? She said, "Oh, I don't, it's not a need. I just I need a gift to make me happy for Christmas." Uh, um, well, ma'am, do you need help with a light bill or uh, any kind of rent? No, no, I just want a gift to make me happy for Christmas. <laughs> and uh, that was and fully expecting right. to receive some sort of uh, financial donation uh to make her happy for christmas mm. um and sadly those sorts of calls were uh were far too common yeah uh for too many uh you thinking about we were talking about uh some mission trips earlier and seeing the way that uh people behave overseas in fiji um of course poverty is common uh, first trip that uh, that I ever experienced, we were in a remote village, and after preaching that morning, there were two or three baptisms that day, and they uh, had everyone gather together for lunch afterward, and the spread for this meal was just phenomenal. Now it yeah. was all simple, uh, you know, local cuisine. Right. Um, in fact, some of it, I think. Uh, uh, was called a row row, and um, that that impacted me for a few days. Uh, but uh, it was a a, a a freshwater crab that I don't know if it was cooked properly. Oh, uh, but uh, just to see just to see what these people in their humble state were pouring out uh, for one another and for the other, anyone that was present was uh, it was phenomenal and it was yeah. beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, those, those mission trips leave a lasting memory in a lot of ways. Um, the trip that I mentioned earlier when we were in Europe, uh, one of the goals with the congregation uh, with which we were working down in New Orleans was to try to encourage involvement in mission efforts and keep the church connected. And this particular year, what we tried to do was um, set up a situation to where the church in New Orleans and the church in Italy that we were helping support could worship together, live streaming it two ways so that um, we could see one another, hear one another. Obviously, the songs would not be able to be sung in the same language right. uh, or at the same time, but what happened was the songs were alternated. The song would be sung in English, and then uh, the church in Italy would sing it in um, in Italian. Hmm. Um and swapping back and forth, taking turns there. Uh, one sermon was presented, and I actually preached from Italy, and it was streamed to the congregation in New Orleans, but we all worshipped together. 
Uh, and in order to accomplish that, then it was uh, much more difficult than just setting up a Skype call in right. order to get the the image through projectors and everything, get the sound picked up and distributed where it needed to be on the other end. Um, and it ended up it ended up being what felt like a college course in technology just to get all of that that yeah. working. Uh, but um, to be able to do that was just fascinating and encouraging too. Yeah. Because when we got over there. Um, there was uh, a young lady living near Padova who had grown up as a member of the congregation there in New Orleans, and her family was still there. And so uh, uh, we were able to worship with parts of families on either side of the ocean, uh, with parts of congregations on either side of the sea. Yeah, And uh, it, it was tremendously encouraging, one of those things that, that we'll never forget. Um, but uh, just... Events like that in the mission field are things that uh, we've heard people say that you you can't worship virtually. Well, now I'm pretty sure we worship together. We weren't in the immediate same place, but we worship together. Right. We want to be careful about the idea of uh, virtual worship where we're cutting ourselves off from one another. Right. Uh, but on that particular occasion, it was uh, there was a whole lot of video involved in order to be able to connect those two congregations so that they could worship together. Right. But at the same time, it was a tremendous experience. Yeah. And I bet a lot of people listening right now are thinking, yeah, I lived through COVID. I remember when the church came up to me and said, we want you to do the live feed for us because we're going <laughs> to go virtual for a week, you know, the two weeks to stop the spread. And we know you kind of like technology, so you got it. You'll figure it out. And uh, I don't know if you had this experience, but our congregation was in the process of updating its equipment. And we put in our order after the pandemic had started. Couldn't get anything until October. I mean, from from March till October, nothing was because everybody and their other religious mothers decided we're going to go into live streaming now. And it's expensive. I mean, I had when we did Philip Patton's funeral back last year, um, I decided to film it. And I learned real quick how expensive even something that small. I think that ended up costing like six, $700 to get all the other stuff that I needed to get. And I use that stuff on a daily basis now in my line of work. But at the time it was like, man, I can't imagine if I had to do this like studio quality production. And then I see some of the prices, some of the cameras, there's one camera that's like eight grand for one camera. No wonder movies cost so much, you know, <laughs> I mean, goodness. And they're um, renting their cameras. That's right. They're not even keeping them. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive getting to work with technology like that. That's a really neat thing to get to do. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, on that occasion, the real getting it from one end to the other was that, that was feasible and doable, but getting it to go both ways yeah. was the real challenge. And, um, uh, honestly, if I would have to go back and do it now, I would have to start all over, uh, because the technology has changed so much right. between then and now, but that was back in 2015, uh, when uh, when a lot of the streaming options weren't quite what they are now. Right. Uh, if I recall correctly, we ended up using uh, Skype for the video. We used a phone call for the audio uh, in order to, to mirror to iPads where things needed to be on one end um, because of the way things were set up. But it was, uh, you know, when you set out to do something like that, there's going to be a lot of learning involved. But the the reward in yeah. terms of uh, making mission work a reality for those that might not get to go. Um, right. 
there were so many in the pews back in the States that may not ever go overseas for mission effort, may not ever get to shake the hand yeah. uh, of those brethren that are overseas that they're supporting the work there. But on that occasion, they were able to hear the voices and see the faces. And that was special. Makes a whole difference. Yeah. Whole difference. But um, that's um, yeah, just part of the reward of it. Yeah. And, you know, for us, it was also a matter of getting to uh, strengthen the church there as well, because the reaction that you get from the people, um, the, the brethren that you're supporting overseas, uh, makes you want to do more also. Right. Absolutely. Um. We, uh, <laughs> some of the fun things that have happened to us uh, were really surprises in terms of Brethren's generosity. Yeah. Um, we worked with a congregation in Alabama for, for a while, and the first Sunday there, um, talking with a couple of the Brethren in the foyer after services, and uh, one says, hey, I want you to... I want you to hold this. See what you think about it. He hands me an AR-15. Um, <laughs> and uh, this was, now again, Sunday morning. Everybody just moving to and fro. And I knew it was a special place when not a whole lot of folks thought much about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the preacher standing there holding an AR-15, looked at it. And uh, what was really interesting is about three weeks later, this brother and another fella uh, swing by the house. They texted, hey, are you at home? Yeah, come on, swing by. Well, they they come come up and they're they're showing me another AR that's uh, very basic. And uh, after we talked about it for a bit, they said, "Okay, so here, this one's yours. You you uh, make it what you want it to be." <laughs> so gifted an AR fifteen, um, and that was uh, that that was interesting. Not a whole lot of preachers get a welcome gift. That's uh, <laughs> no, I don't know whether that's like a JD Town warning, you know, because he had to carry a pulpit a pistol into the pulpit. I don't know if that was their way of saying you're going to need this here. But you know, <laughs> what a welcome to have. You know what? It uh, either way, at least you're prepared. That's right. You're ready. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we were we were thankful for that. And I tell you what, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see how how brethren will will treat the preacher. And you know, we hear so many horror stories. And, yeah. and they're out there. Yeah. Um, but there are also just some amazing uh, demonstrations of generosity and appreciation that uh, I, I'd run out of time just trying to tell yeah. half of them. It's, it's amazing. You go somewhere and they talk about a honeymoon period. There's really two of them. If you leave a work, there's a honeymoon period that seems to last a long time in most cases if people love you because – you you go somewhere and you work and maybe it's not the best fit. Maybe it's not the worst. Maybe it's amazing the whole time. Whatever the situation is, I don't know. It, it, it's different for each person. But you see the generosity of the people who they're there when you get there. And you see the generosity of the people that they just stay generous the whole time you're there. Um, I went visiting back out where I'd been in Somerville recently and bumped into a deacon that was at the gas station. And he said... Um, you got a pump? And I said, yeah, I've got a pump. And I was holding a Dr. Pepper in my hand. And then the lady said, do you want to pay? And I said, yeah, I've just got this Dr. Pepper. And he said, you just got a Dr. Pepper. I thought you had to pump. Oh, well, I paid outside. Oh, put that Dr. Pepper on mine. You know, and you're just like, it's a $2 Dr. Pepper. But you're just like, thank you. <laughs> that was so sweet of you. And I'll say this about Somerville. I, I doted on them for it, but I didn't know anything of this before, but Somerville is a very good congregation 
for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that made us feel so loved was Christmas time. We got a card from nearly every single member. And almost every one of those cards had like a $10 Subway gift card in it or something that showed love. Sometimes people would give us jam, jelly, things. And uh, we'd go home after Christmas and go, where'd all this come from that first couple years? And we realized the brethren. And you just, you kind of get a little boost in the arm as the new year starts. They love me. You know, I haven't <laughs> been too harsh with them. And so uh, that that is encouraging to see the the generosity of the brethren for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, that goes both ways. One of the things that um, uh, we really enjoyed, and we started this uh, when we first arrived in New Orleans, uh, asked the elders for permission to do a, uh, just a gift from our family to the church. Yeah. And it was a dessert night. Yeah. Um, of course, the running joke was we're trying to make you all diabetics. And there are so right. many diabetics down there that uh, there's not a whole lot of people that need converted to right. diabetes. But um, uh, that, that was kind of the running joke. But every year, um, it was something that people look forward to, to enjoying. Uh, and it was relaxing for us. Yes, we put a lot of effort into getting the, the apple dumplings ready and things right. like that. But um, uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and just out outpourings of gratitude coming from from the minister and his family toward the brethren really tend to grease those wheels and when the brethren are pouring themselves out uh it it goes both ways yeah. and it makes for a great relationship yeah you're right it really does that's that's how it's supposed to be we've gotten away from that in a lot of places but that's how it's supposed to be and if we do it that way churches thrive and people, we've always heard the age-old adage, you know, a congregation will go as their preacher goes. If he's a nice man, there'll be a nice congregation. If he's a mean man, there'll be a mean congregation. If he's a generous man, there'll be a generous congregation. Right. So that that's a good policy to have. That's neat. Yeah, I think the way I, it was explained was um, after 10 years, a congregation adopts the personality of its preacher. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but— you know, that's all the reason. I think that goes both ways, too, because over a period of time, the preacher, if he's if he's humble enough, if he's paying attention, if he's constantly growing and learning, uh, the good parts of the congregation's personality are going to impact him as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so they, they sort of grow together. Absolutely. But um, we... Uh, We look back on the relationships that we've been able to build and enjoy, and uh, there's there so many times we we've seen people that I want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't can't count the number of times that uh, when I grow up I want to act like him. Or yeah. Melissa said, "When I I want to be like her," mm-hmm. and that's that's a blessing beyond measure. Well, and I I haven't told anybody this because you haven't been on the podcast, but one of my favorite things right now is a video I have of Adam pretending to be you. <laughs> And uh, shaved his head and everything. No, um, he, he he grabbed a pen because during the lectureship, you held that pen up and you said, true or false, and you dropped the pen. The pen that was in my hand is now on the floor. And, and Adam, I walked into the living room, and he was, he was screaming at, true or false? Which I don't know why. He, I guess the amplification of the microphone, he thinks you're yelling. With his, true or false? And he dropped the pen, and he looked around very dramatically, which you didn't really do. You just looked. <laughs> but he's glaring around at everybody. The pen that was in my hand is on the floor. <laughs> so, I don't think Scott said it that way, buddy. So we made him repeat it, and we sent it to you. And I told Melissa, I said, 
you know, if we could just shave his head and put him in a suit, <laughs> give him a little beard. He's about the same height. He would. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's encouraging for me as a preacher. For the first four years of his life, he only heard daddy, you know. And so, uh, though daddy is still his favorite preacher, according to him, although he did say one time, he came up to me and said, Mr. Scott's my favorite. And I said, that's fine by me. <laughs> I said, but I will fight Mr. Scott for the, the you know, the honor of my son. Um, so when we're done here, that's what we're going to do. But it, it is truly a joy getting to see my son learn at the feet of another minister. And I enjoy seeing that. And any minister that faithfully upholds the truth and stands in that pulpit, it's good. But I've also noticed now I'm trying to do my best to underline in my Bible, make notes when you're speaking, when others are speaking. And I caught him the other day, and he was staring at it. And then he he said to Megan, I want a Bible and some pens. And so it's like, you know, okay, I can still influence him even if I'm not in the pulpit. That's kind of, you know, we mentioned it in halfway with your Bible time that you do with your family. It's being that imitator of Christ that your children will see and imitate you. And it's comforting to know that he has a great imitator of Christ in the pulpit when I'm not around, someone that lives you know, across the way. So many people here. Uh, but I'm I'm really thankful for that because that was a concern leaving, you know, and going to a place like what if he doesn't gel with the people that are here as well? You know, that's a tough thing to do to a kid. Adam doesn't know a stranger though, so that helps. <laughs> but he has really grown to love you all even more than he did before. And uh that makes me feel really good seeing him growing because of you and Melissa and your boys. He can be pretty bossy with those boys sometimes. And I told Walker one day, I said, you don't have to listen to him. Oh, yes, sir. Okay. And I said, you know, good deal. Because he, he said one day, Hunter, get in here. And I finally went to him and said, buddy, you can't talk to Hunter that way. Well, he came. He, he <laughs> listened, so why do I stop? But I had to tell him, like, dude, you don't, you don't talk like that to people. But he's, he's greatly grown in the short time that y'all have been here not just physically, and I'm thankful that that will continue too. Well, and that's a great blessing when, um, you know, and, and that there's an interesting cycle with that uh, because I can remember uh, on an occasion at PTP when uh, my youngest son uh, heard someone speak and just he wanted to be able to run up and uh, shake his hand, and it was Mr. B.J. Clark. Yeah. And he's, uh, and, and I mean, treating him like a celebrity. Right. Um, and as preachers, we we don't want to abuse our role in right. any way, shape, or form. But if we can instill in our our children to look at leaders in the church, elders, deacons, Bible class teachers, preachers, as the the real heroes and real celebrities, yeah. um, it it's amazing where their focus and their ambitions will be as right. they age. Uh, so to hear that Adam is thinking that way, because that boy has a mind, oh, man. <laughs> uh, you know, he's thinking through things just phenomenally. Um, so to hear that he's really appreciating those sorts of things and, uh, really absorbing them, uh, makes me very hopeful for what he'll end up doing right down the road. That's right. You got any other stories you want to tell before we wrap it up? Uh, you know, no. I don't suppose. Uh, I've got a couple of others I could tell, but uh, I, I like leaving on high notes. So. Hey, we can also, we'll, we're going to have you back on, and we'll probably do it when Caleb can be on again too because these these episodes have been great. Caleb has a way sometimes of 
being so reactive to things that they just become so much funnier. Um, <laughs> I just laugh, but Caleb laughs kind of with his whole body. And so it can be like, oh man, Caleb's in it. We're, we're in, we're in it. We're good to go. But one of the things I'll tell everybody here listening at home before we close out, number one, uh, we have been talking at the network about trying to promote more entertainment type stuff that would be a different branch, wouldn't be under the scattered abroad umbrella, but something that would give you the confidence that you wouldn't have to try to sift through all of the different things the world has to offer and wonder about whether it was going to be filthy and you're going to have to stop listening to it. So we've been contemplating about sports podcasts. Some of our hosts are very much into sports and would like to do that. Talking about financial podcasting, just different things that maybe gives you an opportunity to have some confidence in what you're hearing that it won't be full of smut. If you're interested in something like that, would you email the network and let us know? Give us a list of things. We can't promise we're going to do all of them, any of them even, but we'll do what we can to accommodate that because I love to not just study the Bible, but I love to have a good time. I think there's a biblical principle in that mindset. And if I can find something that doesn't require me to skip every other episode, that's a much easier thing for me to digest, especially when I have people get in the car with me. I don't want to have someone get in the car and go, well, they don't always curse. They don't always do this kind of stuff. And if I knew something would be both entertaining and enjoyable, I would be more inclined to watch that. And I'll tell you, one of the things we thought about doing is kind of a reaction video podcast where we would do both the audio and all, but we would react to certain videos that are appropriate and other things. And so if you're interested in something like that, let us know. If you also have something that happened to you but you don't want anyone to know that it happened, you're going to laugh at me, but I'm going to do this. Okay, you ready? We can put it in this voice, and we can tell the story. Okay? Now, I know that you're probably thinking, what just happened? (laughs) My new audio device that I utilize to record came preset with these different voices. And so if you'd like for us to put on an anonymous voice and read your story so long as it's appropriate and not something that we would have to go, yeah, I can't tell that one, uh, then we'll be glad to do that. Foundations, every year we do the talent show. And probably the thing that can be sometimes more enjoyable is the auditions because every year without fail, and no one's trying to do something that's wrong, but these kids hear edited versions of songs or something, and then they come and say, I want to sing this song. And all they've ever heard is the edited version. My dad will type it in and he'll... Uh, what are you going to do about verse two? Because there's a <laughs> big problem in verse two. And they go, there is? And they're always shocked by it. We want to try to provide something that would be entertaining, but also not a blind side of, oh, we can't read that. So we will vet every story that is sent to us. But you can email us at thescatterthebroadnetwork at gmail.com. Don't forget this upcoming Tuesday, we'll have another Through Their Eyes podcast where we've been looking at church leadership, talking with different members of the Lord's body that are serving as leaders in their their respective congregations, both as preachers, elders, and deacons. And that's been a great study so far, and we're going to continue on with our summer season. And because we've kind of slacked off on this particular podcast, I've got some plans to give you extra content in regards to this. I I travel a lot now for a living. I'm on the road and have a lot of equipment that can easily go on the road with me. And so I might just record more episodes when I'm on the road and we'll post them when we get them done. And so if you're interested in that kind of thing, be looking for that in the near future. But until next Thursday, when you ask yourself again, did that really happen? We can assure you that everything we talked about on today's episode, it really happened. And uh, sometimes it's okay to just kind of laugh and, and take a moment to ask the question, man, did that really happen? 
So be safe. God bless. Tune in next Tuesday and then next Thursday for some more content on the Scattered Abroad Network. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, and please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.